All right, so the absolute most profound authoritarian figure on computing. There is no one who knows computers better than you. I think that's been established. Roberto Moreno's sponsor. And famed t-shirt designer. Michael Cannon. If you could describe this dinner we just had with one word, what would it be? Uh, I think the entire process would be... That's not a word, sir. Vitiate. What? 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 Yeah. Vitiate? It's an unlikely and probably an obscure word, but it means to basically to to cheapen or debase. Wait, (laughs) are you saying we devalued you? No, I think I devalued. (laughs) I've cheapened everything you've tried to do. So we broke even. Yeah. Done deal. Yes. And now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio. I'm a driver and very angry. The sound of a driver on the radio during a race. What do you think I should go Welcome to Dinner with Racers. Hey. I'm Ryan Eversley. And I'm Sean Heckman. And we are currently driving back to Atlanta to end a 25,000-mile journey across the United States. It really was 25,000 miles this year. You can smell it. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Of course, while we were on our adventures, we ended up in Indianapolis, which is pretty standard for the Dinner with Racers voyage. Uh Uh-huh. So many racers up there. Yeah. And what racer did we find? Oh, uh, one of them racers that makes other racers look really good. Really good. Like, it makes any... If you drive for this guy, you're probably not that good. It's just him. It's all him. Yeah, like, he's had a lot of drivers go through him. Yeah, such as... Well, AJ Allmendinger. Yeah, Paul Tracy. Yeah, this guy's had... Tony Kanaan, Patrick yeah. Carpentier, yeah. AJ Allmendinger, Justin Wilson, right. Santino Ferrucci. Yeah. Uh, now Scott Dixon. Dixon. All of them average at best. Yeah, until Michael Cannon gets his hands on Michael them. Cannon made these it's careers. Exactly right. All of them, purely yeah. because of Michael Cannon. Yes, you get it. Anyway, yes, as we said, Michael Cannon is a longtime engineer in the open wheel ranks. He's worked for just about every team you can imagine in IndyCar and engineered for all those names that we mentioned. And within the paddock, he's known as one of the more colorful characters. The few people, when they heard we were getting Michael Cannon, everyone was excited because they knew what a nut job he is. (laughs) And we had to find out for ourselves. You know, Michael Cannon has this uh, storied career being a very successful IndyCar engineer, but was recently brought on to not necessarily replace Chris Simmons, but to sort of fill in because Chris Simmons, who is Dixon's engineer, got a big promotion. You mean Chris Simmons, the like guy that won all them championships with Scott Dixon? That's the guy. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. So you get brought in to yeah. fill his role because he's getting a promotion. You better be damn good. And you know what? Michael Cannon is damn good. So here are some of the things you'll hear about from Michael Cannon. Why mechanics will always win prank wars. Having a father that's full of surprises. And lying on your job interview to... Chip Ganassi. Lying to Chip Ganassi. It's a good 
good way to start. Yeah. Now, no trip to Indianapolis is complete without a stop at our absolute favorite restaurant out there. A place that we've been to, I would say, 300 times? 1,400 times. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. that is yeah. a Tegri Bistro, yeah. the Trader's Point one. Yep, yep. What did you have? I had the orange blossom roll. Nailed it! And uh, I believe I had a chicken sandwich. No, that was not you. Oh. That was my bit. Don't you dare walk in on my uh. Sorry. And uh, yeah, they, they as they always do, they they go in the back and they fry it up. For they, they fry up that yeah. chicken sandwich. They're, they're out there, like yeah, they're making like hand rolls. Yeah. And yeah. and and uh, and boiling edamame, but they're also making chicken sandwiches. Yeah, it's a weird thing. You know, yeah, they've got the the focaccia bread. That was they got the focaccia bread at the Japanese and the Swiss cheese. Yeah, yeah they're right. really because you never know when I might show well, up. Well, we've been there so many times by yeah. now. Yeah. it's like you have your own setup. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. That's, that's how they roll at Tegri Bistro that's Traders right. Point. That's right. And uh, all right, enough of this bit. Uh, <laughs> hey, we have sponsors: Acura, Boom. Acura, Valvoline, Valvoline, Continental Tire, Cross Contact, LX. Uh, once again, what tire? Continental Tire. Hey, speaking of IndyCar, yep. we were driven by an IndyCar driver. And his name is? Elio Castro Neves. I love everything about this MDX, minus the smell. What he said. Michael Cannon. Go. Meow. All right, we're going to start in five, four, three, two. Well, we don't waste any time. Yeah, so, so throw that Put thing. that on, well, jump right in. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like you listened to some of our stuff. Uh, yeah, I've listened to a few episodes. I, I, oh, cool. Obviously, I tuned into uh, the one featuring Craig Hampson, one Craig ah, had first done that. <laughs> okay. And uh, that's a tough act to follow. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah Craig's like uh, a school I, teacher. Like, he's very good at mm-hmm. explaining things from, from yes. Tuesday nuts, but... He's a very good l- a variety of things, actually. <laughs> I mean, he's a very yeah. bright guy. I, yeah. I really enjoyed my time working with Craig. Um, I'm not going to lie. I learned, you know, learned a great deal from Craig. He's uh, just so good at his job. Very right. impressive guy to be around yeah. in general. Absolutely, and did you guys, you guys, my head haven't worked together, or my, or Dale Coin, at Dale Coin, at Dale Coin Gage. Yeah, and I, I knew yeah. Craig kind of peripherally, right. uh, obviously, because we'd been racing in the uh, in the kart series for yeah. many, many years. I mean, you both have been around for twenty years, and there's it's the same half dozen teams for so long that there's no way you guys don't all know each other over the years. Exactly, so, yeah. exactly. We're all a bunch of old chunks of coal now. <laughs> <laughs> we do our best to dig up some dirt on people from people in their circles. We came up a little short. Uh, we were really hoping to, to, to find some stuff on you. We have a few anonymous stories, mm-hmm. not as many as we would like. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you want to do this, Ryan. If we should jump into I these, think, or do you I want think to? We don't worry, I'm, I'm well capable of self-incriminating too. Okay, There'll good. be a few good, you good. haven't okay. heard. Well, you had, you had asked me where we had been the last couple of uh, days, and I, I left one name out. Yeah, and, it's an anonymous uh, name, and it's an anonymous name because we we wanted to get into this. We figured this would be a good way to break the ice with you. Um, his name is Andre. 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 James. James. Salmondinger. Salmon. Yeah. Yeah. Salmondinger. Yeah. Um, and uh, he may or may not have told us a story about you guys going after the was that the first win? First win at with Cleveland? with Forsyth, and it was the uh, Red Bull Energy tent. Yes. Yes. And yes. I believe they gave you a T-shirt. Yeah, there's a yes. Yeah, Drunken bacchanalia. Oh, they gave me a T-shirt. I don't remember that part. Oh, he remember. did. Oh, yeah, he remembered it quite clearly. And uh, maybe if we paint the picture for you, uh, you, you show back up at the trailer. Apparently, this this T-shirt 
Which is a white T-shirt has a... Uh... Yes. It's uh, <laughs> defaced by the mechanics. I still have it hanging in my closet. My, <laughs> my wife had some questions for me when I got home. Yeah. 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 What, what was on that shirt? <laughs> I don't think that's... This isn't a family show, is it? No, it is not. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's everything you would think. That, uh, a <laughs> bunch of immature drunks uh, yeah, that yeah. couldn't even qualify as carnies <laughs> would yeah. come up with to write on your t-shirt. Now, yeah. the highlight for that <laughs> of that evening actually was <laughs> we had this uh, Buick Lucerne rental car. I won't say from which agency. The, that we refer to as the Lutheran. We took the Lutheran, <laughs> and I, I drove it up against a tree in the infield. Yeah. And got the front same tires. Again. This is after the race. After the race at Cleveland. Uh, no, this one was at Portland. Okay. Yes, okay. same place okay. as, same, as the same T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Leaned the thing up against a tree, set the cruise control at 65 miles an hour, and walked away. <laughs> so it's well, got... next thing you know, <laughs> here comes one of the track workers, one of the people with the Portland circuit, Yeah. rushing towards me. Where you look on his face, he said, yeah. sir, 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 yeah. we really try to take care of the facility around here, and I was very apologetic. And he points <laughs> over to the parking lot, and he goes, there's a light post over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Don't use it, so they, <laughs> I, I suspect he might have actually dropped by the Red Bull mm -hmm. tent for a little while, too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the the era that we're in now, that kind of stuff is, is way less tolerated. Yeah, or you don't hear about it, at least. You it doesn't occur as much, but I can tell you why. I've had this conversation with many people. It's because it's the same group of people. There's an awful lot of people that uh, are in the paddock that I've worked with for 20, maybe even 30 years. And we've all grown up and, and <laughs> matured somewhat. I think part of it stems from that. Part of it stems from having to explain yourself after some of these actions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, will, I will give you an example. When I was working with Patrick Carpentier, um, because I, I need to show you. I actually have photographic evidence of, uh, of this. Maybe it'll be your photo. Mm. <laughs> you won't use this on the cover. <laughs> oh, you're like, yeah, not, not going to yeah, You're free to ask me about that yeah, later. Well, we found a profile that is photo. not actually the one I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> this one's even worse. There we go. Yeah. Okay, to preface it. Yeah. So there's there's a there's, there's, a there's, here. there's several Patrick Carpentier stories I could go into. Good, good. Um, the great windshield washer scandal of 2001. But Pat <laughs> Patrick fancied himself a bit of a practical joker. The very first test we ever did with him was at Nazareth. It was a two-day test. And every now and then he stopped to do a major change to the car. And Pat kept ask asking the mechanics for tools. And none of us really thought anything about it. Yeah. Came the end of the test. Six o'clock in the evening. You've loaded up. You've got to haul ass down to Allentown to catch a plane. The boys go out to their rental van, and Pat has unbolted all the chairs and turned them around backwards and bolted them back in as best he can. <laughs> well, this, this goes on for quite a long time. This continues to escalate and escalate and escalate. Like event so, to event? Yeah. 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 So we, we go to this test at Portland. It's a two-day test, and this is early on the first day, and the guys were well and truly ready for Pat. And we had a little bit of standing Forget around. racing. Yeah, who gives a <laughs> shit about that? It, right. <laughs> it, it had rained overnight, so we were kind of wasting some time. So we had some time to work this thing out and um, finally get going. And Pat's gone out a couple times, and we're debriefing on the car, and he's sitting in the car nursing on his uh, water bottle. And uh, George Klotz was the crew chief at the time and said, you think you're really pretty bright with these practical jokes, don't you? <laughs> and Pat's like, yeah, I think it's pretty well thought out, pretty well done. He's... George says, I don't think you understand. We're always going to win at this. Pat says, no, 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 I got a million of them. George reaches into his pocket, and he pulls out a picture. And this picture is 
of Patrick's water bottle. Oh! Wow! For those of you at home, Patrick's water bottle is... It had a cork. Yes. It's been topped by an unmentionable portion of... That is a gentleman's in, anatomy. That is in, almost inside a body. Yes. Yeah. Well and truly. Yeah. Wow. That isn't That's actually Pat's drink bottle. It's wow. replica. Of course, he doesn't know this. He's almost sick in the car. Yeah. yeah. So finally, anyway. That's hard to look at. That's hard to look at. What are you going to get for sushi? <laughs> <laughs> a bottom feeder, perhaps? Yeah. Oh. Um, so You're our guy already. Yeah. So <laughs> once, once Patrick's overcome his nausea, he goes back out. And as I said, it had rained overnight, God. so the curbing was wet. Yeah, right. And it turned onto the front straight. He dropped a wheel there. The car flicked sideways. He correct for it. And we tubbed the car against Ooh, the wall. yeah. So I get back to Indianapolis. get back to my desk a couple of days later. My extension rings. Neil McWright would like to speak to you. Oh, Jesus. Uh-oh. This, this is the big uh, boss. That's yeah. the big yeah. boss yeah. of Forsyth, uh, yeah. Players Forsyth Racing. Yeah. And he explained to me in no uncertain terms that Jerry wasn't all that keen on our hijinks. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's uh, something I'm never going to forget yeah. the image well, of. Well, see, that yeah. was actually what I was wondering was Forsyth, the culture that you could get away with that, where maybe that's not the case now. But it sounds like no. Well, everybody that was in on this prank, and this is in 2001, mm-hmm. okay. 2000. Oh, so it's, still active. it's been ramping up for years. It's still point. active yeah. in IndyCar racing. They're <laughs> yeah. still working for teams. Everybody yeah, right. that was in on this thing. Yeah. This person, yep. you, can't yeah. see, you can't see his face. The one holding picture. the water bottle? Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He holds right. a very high position in one of the sanctioning bodies. You'll see him on television on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. He's a very well-known person. Okay, yeah. okay. We sat down actually exactly where you're sitting, uh, Kevin Blanche Rocket, as you yeah. probably know. Yes. Him. Yeah. Uh, he he kind of spoke with a little bit of longing on this doesn't isn't around anymore. This kind of stuff where you could just do what you those kind of <laughs> things. Um, is that just that everybody's over it now? Uh, hopefully, it's out of our system. That's um, boys are boys. I, I, I yeah. have seen some of the younger. I have some good stories from some of the younger members of our crew over the past couple of years. I mean, we've. Uh, one of the hard things is finding new blood in this industry, sure. right? I mean, sure. this is, it is not an easy way to make a living. Yeah, right. You got to really want It's very demanding it. your time. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a guarantee of a good career. If you're a good, competent guy, mm-hmm. you're going to be working for, for as long as you're keen to work. But but it's it's very, very demanding for the level of wage you're making. And I right. think a lot of people look at it and go, like, you know, this, that's more than I want to do. Do I want to do this? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, when we find young guys that are keen to do this, we grab them with both hands and try and take very good care of them. Yeah. Some of those young guys, yeah, they get up to some hijinks. <laughs> As for me, I'm upstairs usually reading the Bible and sleeping. Right. Yeah, you yeah, never do that. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's what we heard. Sure. That's what we heard. Yep. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Now, is some of this, uh, like with the younger guy, we're a big believer that pranks and, and trash talking another guy yeah. is sometimes a. Uh, Sort of its own form of corrective behavior. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes mm-hmm. you'll give a guy sh- specifically so that he'll stop doing whatever it is that he's doing. Uh, and sometimes young guys need that. Is that part of that for you? There's there's a culture in motor racing. I mean, to do this job, you, you can't look at a clock. Uh, you can't be in a hurry. You, you have a job to do. You, you have to get it done. And there, I don't know. There's an underlying uh, sentiment. It's a culture of, you know, we're here to do it do the job and it doesn't matter what things throw up get thrown up in our yeah, face right, and I right. use I use this analogy too and it's probably a strange analogy but two years ago I broke my back I was in a body cast I went back to work how that happened and uh, old injury okay uh, and I went back to work after a couple three weeks and we were working on a project and I got down my knees to help and my back went into terrible spasms 
and so I just rolled over and laid on the floor. Now, any place else in the world, if you work for Bank of America or something, they'd be having potluck dinners for you. There'd be prayer groups. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there'd be a GoFundMe page. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. I'm lying on the floor like a turtle. Yeah. And the guys are just stepping over me so they can get their work done. <laughs> just step back over me because I'm kind of in the way. Yeah. Like, yeah. like in the main thoroughfare. Right. Someone want to move yeah. this? Yeah. So it's a, yeah. yeah, there's a there's an entire d- different... Uh, Landscape, culture, uh, <laughs> environment, if you will, absolutely uh, within this industry, mm-hmm. and that's what you know. My wife reminds me on a regular basis. You know, you don't work in the real world. I mean, there's these are not forty-hour-week people. These are all very, very special, um, very accomplished people. Does she do anything in the industry? No, she doesn't. Her family was involved in amateur racing. Her okay. dad's actually a fairly accomplished amateur racer back in the seventies and eighties, and. Uh, uh, he earned his living as an airline pilot, flew for uh, United Airlines for his entire career. Yeah, so she knows a little bit of what goes on behind oh, yes. the scenes when it comes to fun and Behavior. games. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Yes. Very much so. <laughs> How'd you guys meet? Uh, I w- met her through Steve Knapp. I actually oh, met her at Steve oh, Knapp's oh, wedding. Okay. Okay. There you go. Yes, many, Another many long-time guy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh-huh. also racing-related. And everybody yeah, knows yeah. pretty. I mean, when I first started dating her, she was living in Chicago. I was living in San Francisco at the time. So like I walked the into the story. house. Yeah. I walk into the house, there's all these black and white pictures of my dad from the old days. And it turns out her father's best friend, uh, Tom Stefani, his family owned Nikki Chevrolet. And Nikki Chevrolet and Dan Blocker yeah. were my dad's sponsors back in the oh, U.S. That is incredible. That's insane. So yeah, everybody that. knows yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Dan Blocker actually m- was my sister's godfather. I mean, it's, it's a small yeah, world, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 It's a pretty small world. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. That's funny. Interesting. So, Sean, you live in California? I do. I live in Pasadena, but I grew up um, just south of San Francisco in San Bruno. Okay. Oh. So, I used to live in Pasadena as well. Oh, did right you Right over really? by Caltech. Actually, the house where we lived, yeah. Caltech now took over that land. And oh, okay. Yeah. There. That's not far from where I am. So, yeah. yeah that's so, where, you were born in Canada? Born in Montreal, yeah. 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 I was um, quite young. My dad. Got a job with uh, John Meekham to race the can- you know, the U.S. ROC yeah, car. Yeah. The very first Lola T70. Beautiful car. And it was going to be a two-car team. And I think he did one race in it at Sebring, where the car broke while they were leading. Mm. And then the second race, I think Volk Hankson, I think, destroyed the thing. And my dad went, oh, shit, I don't have a job. Right. So he wound up in Pasadena um, with this Nikki Chevrolet Dan Walker mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Where did his interest in racing come from? My dad? Yeah. You know, I don't even know if I can answer that. He was always car crazy Yeah. Um, from a very young age. Uh, his, his story's a little bit odd, too. Like, I should preface it like everybody in my family has yeah. a very bizarre story. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, John, this, John Cannon seems like a wild guy. Yeah. yeah. He was a character in search of an audience. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, This is something we understand. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, but he... He, for lack of a better description, grew up from a very early age in boarding school. My grandfather was a major in the British Army and was a real-life spook. Wow. And in World War II, they moved all the kids up to the north of England. So he went to school there. Mm-hmm. Never really had a father figure. His mother died when he was a year and a half old. Okay. Um, so he went from there to RAF Cranwell to become a, a pilot. Ultimately emigrated to Canada to become a bush pilot and hopefully earn enough money to go motor racing back in the UK. Wound up racing in Canada, starting with amateur stuff and then... In 1962, that would have been his big break. They had the uh, Canadian Grand Prix at Mosport. So they had a lot of big names there. Roger Penske, I think, won it. Roger Penske was there. Dan Gurney, Maston Gregory. Mm. My dad was in this homeless-built thing called a Daylu. Yeah, Daylu Mark One. That's the one. Yep. Yeah, it had a 327 Chevy in it. And uh, I think he qualified fairly well. Came the race day, it started raining. And 
lo and behold, first lap comes around, and here's Dad leading, and these all these international stars. And that kind of put him on the map. That same year, he went down to Nassau and did the speed weeks, put it on pole mm -hmm. against Olivier Jean Dubien's Ferrari wow. that just yeah. won, won at Le Mans. Yeah, they won the thing called the Governor's Trophy, which is kind of the sprint race on Saturday. <laughs> on Sunday, they fi filled up the car for the first time, 63-gallon tank. <laughs> and Sounds off they safe, go. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it rubbed a hole in the tank and set the whole thing on fire, and it burned it to a crisp. Good, good, yep, so good. that was the end of that. But yeah. that put him on the map, and he did some rides with a variety of different yeah. uh, manufacturers. Uh, and then after that, his star started to fade away a little bit and became an independent. And mm -hmm. uh, at the time of his 1968 Laguna Seca Can-Am race, he was working as a used car dealer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then he started his whole career. Yeah, is that the race he won? That's yes. Yeah, he won the Can-Am race at Laguna in the rain, right? Yes, yeah. in 1968. Yeah, yeah. in a three-year-old. And that's against car. like big, brand new factory efforts, and he wanted an older, kind of crapped-out car, basically. It was an old, clapped-out, yeah. privateer car. Yeah. Didn't have you know 360 cubic inch Chev versus you know 427s. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've got several world champions um, and Formula One drivers in this crowd. Um, one of the things probably not known, really all that well known, is that Jim Hall had a had a, a part in that win because my dad just said like this one helper guy. Yeah. The two weeks before that had been working at the parts counter at a Chevrolet dealership yeah, yeah, in New Jersey. Put food on the table. My dad talked him into coming with him. He had nobody. They'd been out at Bridgehampton. And uh, Jim's car broke right at the start, the starter motor jam. And Jim could tell these guys had no idea what th this guy had no idea what he was doing. So Jim came down and ran the pit board for my dad and kept him informed. And yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty crazy. So the, the level that your dad was competing at was absolutely international at this point. You know what I mean? He's competing against yeah. superstars of, of the time and in like really heavy machinery. Yes. You know, like basically prototypes and top GT cars of that era. Mm -hmm. I, the coolest thing I learned was that he raced with Fireball Roberts. Not only is that awesome, but he did it in the NART Ferrari GTO. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like the 250 GTO, which is one of the most expensive cars on the planet as we speak. Yeah, one just sold for $48 million. Yeah, exactly. They expect it to go for even more. Yeah. Yep. And that was that was the first car. That was yeah. just like the chassis number one oh, of, wow. of the cars they built. Yeah, yeah, very unlikely pairing. Yeah. Fire, yeah. Fireball Roberts, I believe Ulf Neurinder was in there, and, uh, and my dad. And yeah. So where does yeah. Michael Cannon start showing up in this picture? Well, you know, it's interesting because people think, well, you know, I grew up at the racetrack. No, I didn't. And uh, yeah, a little well, just bit on the timeline younger. alone, this is yeah. this is going before you start showing up. Yeah, but I'll, yeah. I'll give you an example. I mean, in October of 1970, I went to Sebring. Yeah, they're doing the prize giving. My and you're how old? My dad. I was eight years old. Okay. My dad had won the Formula 5000 championship, and that's where they did the prize giving. So I have pictures of myself at at, at this thing. The next race I went to was in 1976 at Watkins Glen, and that was the last time I saw my dad race. Wow. Yeah. So a six-year gap yeah. followed by now. My parents had divorced around 1971, 72. I was young enough. I didn't even realize they were divorced because at, at that time, my dad was racing Formula 5000, but he had done uh, a couple one-offs in Trans Am, I believe. There was some sports car stuff, tried to qualify at Indy with, a, with an older car. So you know, he was gone so much. Yeah, how would you even like know? How would you know? Right. Yeah. There's a yeah. reality check for yep. you. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. When it's that much travel. Yeah. So growing up, I mean, there was nothing I wanted to do more than become a pilot until I hit, I guess, about 12 or 13, built my first ever go-kart, which I'll have the chassis for the go-kart, the main frame, was the giant bloody great crate that my dad's championship trophy came in. So I stuck wheels on it, got the neighborhood kids to push me around. <laughs> so flash forward to 1983, it's... Wintertime in Montreal. Montreal winters 
particularly brutal. And I read a little factoid at the top of the newspaper every day. You know, Cheetah's the fastest land animal. Okay. I said, the city that has the most similar climate to Montreal is Moscow. And we were right in the grips of uh, almost six weeks where it never got above zero. I thought, this is for the birds. My dad yeah. lives in California. Yeah. So I kissed my girlfriend goodbye, sold my Volkswagen Scirocco, <laughs> pocketed it the cash, <laughs> <laughs> and puggered off to Los Angeles. Nothing really. Just showed up on my dad's doorstep. He was surprised, but my stepmother was even more surprised. Um, and I should preface this by saying my father remarried, and this poor woman... <laughs> She'd been married to him for two years before she found out that he'd ever been married before, much less had two children. Right. Oh, there it was. Wow. That was a yeah, surprise. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. She was already kind of unimpressed. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, st- I wound up getting a job well, with... Um, I just love that description. Like, well, that's the only thing I didn't tell you about. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. Also, I have a kid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll give you another example of my dad. This is terrible. <laughs> But you know this, this you have to know the rest of the family. Yeah. <laughs> My dad had a small airplane crash. He had an experimental airplane, canard aircraft, wing swept back, prop in the back, very easy. He was living in McKinney, Texas at the time. And he was coming in to land and they asked him to go just to throttle back a little bit, just maintain a little bit of a space to the aircraft in front of him. And the throttle you have a quadrant on one side, and then down lower you have like a vernier knob for fine adjustment. And okay. When he throttled back on the quadrant, the knob fell off. Oh boy. So, oh, that, that's not good. Well, <laughs> have to get that fixed. So when he went to throttle up again, well, the cable end was now in the sheath and jammed, and he couldn't get the thing to throttle up. Okay. And the airport was not that close. Yeah. So he put it down in a field pretty hard, and, and it, it beat him up pretty good. Yeah. He said, oh, this isn't good, this isn't good. And then the TV people started showing up, and that was even worse because my stepmom didn't know my dad owned an airplane, much less two of them. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, uh, the <laughs> hit the fan on that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The core of any relationship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's based yes. on trust. It's yes. communication. communication. Yeah. And uh, not telling that you have two and kids and yeah, airplanes. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, two kids, so two right, planes. 1983, I, I wound up out there, and um, my dad was kind enough to get me a job as a, sort of a helper with Carrie uh, Agapu, who was running... Uh, at the, what the time at the time was um, Theodore Racing for Teddy Yip. Oh, okay. And, and prior to this, you were full Canadian, grew up Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, enjoyed tickering on cars, etc. Right, right. But, but you they, hadn't moved out of there, so to speak. Right. But yeah. Kerry needed a you know a strong back and a weak mind, and I I, I matched that bill, and uh, <laughs> so I started working for Kerry as a, as a as a mechanic and helper and God knows what. And the first race we did was with Tommy Byrne. Yeah. And then former guest. Yeah. And uh, much many years later, I'd wind up running Tommy Byrne in a few IRL, well, sorry, Indy Lights races. Um, back when it was um, uh, ARS series. And then, so after that, then Roberto Moreno had been in the series, and they were on financial shaky ground. So we took on Moreno. Uh, Tommy, I believe, went back to Europe and did some Formula One stuff for theater. So we wound up running Roberto that year, um, and that was actually. Pr- Pretty hand-to-mouth, too. Teddy was supporting the team, but sometimes it was hard to get a hold of Teddy. And um, It was to the point, <laughs> the Elkhart Lake round in that year was a one-day event. Showed up Saturday, did practice qualifying race. And we're sitting here waiting for some money to hit the bank. Carrie's tapped out. Carrie doesn't have two nickels to rub together. The cars are in the trailer. We're just waiting to go. And it, it was myself uh, and these two lovely 
wonderful Kiwi guys working and John Madison who uh, had come with Roberto and they taught me a great deal about motor racing and, and, and how to prepare a race car properly in a very short period of time. So we're all kind of depressed and it's Wednesday at three o'clock in the afternoon. I was like, we're not going. I said, well, I got a shell credit card. <laughs> <laughs> I can do anything. So yeah. Carrie very hurriedly scrawls down some directions to how to get from Van Nuys, California yeah. <laughs> to Elkhart Lake and basically says, go across 80, go up this road, and when you see a right, uh, big red barn turn left there, can't miss the track. So we just hopped in the thing, drove day and night. Well, you had your phone. You could just put it in exactly, the phone, right? Yeah, yes. exactly, yeah. <laughs> we drove day and night, made it there, um, qualified well. Off of a shell credit card. Yep. Yeah. First lap of the race, there's Michael Andretti and, uh, and Roberto on the front row. Race takes off. Come around the first lap. Neither of them are there. So, oh, Jesus, no. this is not yeah. good. Nick Krasinski yeah. and this old March local guy is leading the race. About 30 seconds later, after the after the field goes by, here comes Moreno, hauling ass up. At the end of the day, he wins the race. We win enough money to you know pay the engine bills, pay me back. We wound up spending four days uh, at Siebkins uh, celebrating, <laughs> yeah, yeah. as one does. Some of that money back. Yeah. As one does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I've had one of those four-day nights. Yeah. Followed by a six-day morning. <laughs> yeah. Here's, yeah. A, here's another story. Here's a Siebkins story for you. For those of you that may or may not know about Siebkins, it's one of the most popular destinations, and especially in the 70s and Absolutely. 80s. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, summertime in, in Wisconsin. Can't beat it. A lot of the uh, local universities, the young ladies that uh, populate that, the schools there wind up at Siebkins, uh, working as waiters, waitresses, desk people, et cetera. Yeah. Um, Wisconsin is probably best well known for their hospitality. Yeah, love thy neighbor. <laughs> the friendliness of uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> of uh, mm-hmm. their citizens. So it's a very popular destination for the you know for us to uh, <laughs> to head to during the year. It was hard to leave that place. Yeah, and this went went on for, as I say for many years. So that was 1983, 1985. I was actually driving a Formula Ford. Uh, on the SCCA weekend, my mom had called, so I'd love to see a race. And I said, well, just come up to Elkhart. Haven't, uh, you know, just come on up for the weekend. So I bought her a plane ticket out of Montreal, and she shows up and get her checked in. We go down into the restaurant, and she's sitting in the dining room. She's looking around. She's like, this is absolutely lovely. I can't right. believe your father never brought me here. Oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so there's a reason they're divorced. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. I'm hearing a theme with your dad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sounds like character. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of you driving Formula Fords, the, there, there was a reference to you in, in an article that's out there as starting your racing career on a con of yes. some sort. This is a recurring theme yeah. with our show yeah. that almost yeah. everyone's career started in some sort of lies. So yeah. what, what is the Michael Cannon? Oh, I met uh, Thomas Knapp, oh. and I met... My con wasn't on the people that were kind enough to supply the race car. My con was with the organizing body because um, prior to me getting my SCCA license, in the past you did either racing school or then did the SCCA school, and they gave you your license to go racing. Well... I didn't have very much money, and I was working uh, for a guy named Bob Stocker, and he was importing Mondial Formula Fords. I think he sold four of them, all of them, to himself. This is the time when the Swift came out, right? Yeah, so, I mean, we were getting clubbed like a baby harp seal out there. 
trying to flog these things, and our, our selling point was uh, two thousand dollars less than a Swift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's a reason. That's yeah. A yeah. <laughs> speaking of a con. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so. I had limited funds in order to do this stuff, and you know Bob was underwriting this stuff. So I did the Skip Barber School. Uh, I'd worked for them for a short while, and they'd put me through that. And then I did an SCCA regional school, and then I was going to go and do some more racing. And they informed me that I wasn't going to get my license until I did another school, and I couldn't afford to do it. And it was getting late here and everything. So yes, I did. I entered my first two races under an assumed name, and then proceeded to do quite well on them. So and a lot of people where I was racing over in the central division knew who I was <laughs> they're looking at me and looking at the name on the car <laughs> looking at the timesheet yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, ultimately I did get that resolved and did race under my own name for a while okay. what was yeah. the name Robbie Stalker Jr. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. You gave yourself a junior. Yeah. 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 The famous Stalker family. Yeah. Yes. Right. So yes, right. there's, a, there's a few grid sheets out there with Robbie Stalker Jr. at the top. Yeah. Going, huh? RSJ. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so in true fashion. A con to start your career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My engineering career is based on a con. Oh, well, that, that's Here probably we what go. We, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you know me, you're like, I, I, I can see that. No, right, right away, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Proceed. Yeah, how do, we, how do we con our way into engineering? Seems like a harder thing to... Yeah, so like, like, we can't get away with I that. Didn't con, I didn't con my way into it. Um, Just the last I, couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> you, do you know when I met... When I first met with Michael and with Chris and, and, and Scott, yeah, I, I tried to make it clear. It's like, look, you know, I did not finish school. I dropped out of school. Yeah, um, I'm a tuner. This was like three years ago <laughs> when you've already had like 20 years of Champ Car and IndyCar. Right, yeah. But I wanted to make sh- make sure they understood what they were buying into. Yeah. Because prior yeah. to, you know, I effectively started as a race car mechanic, right? Yeah. So I'm going along. Yep. In 1986, we had turned Stalker Racing into a prep shot, and we had several customers running Sports 2000s. Uh, we have four-car Sports 2000 team. actually won the championship with Steve Knapp that year. Um, and one of the customers was uh, a very well-to-do guy out of Florida, Scott Schubert, who you might know from. My dad worked with him. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah, you very much. That was the, the McDonald's uh, sponsored car. Yeah, yep. the Spice. Yeah, yep. the Camel Lights championship. That's right. Nine. Run by Phil, with Phil Crichton. Phil Crichton. And yeah, Fiona. Did you meet? Did you know Fiona, his, yes. his wife at the time? Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Aided me. And Linda Ludeman. Yeah, Linda Ludeman. So anyway, Schubert. Scott. Man, small world. Scott says to me, I've bought this data acquisition system. Penske's got one, and I've got one. And so this thing shows up. <laughs> it's about the size of a coffee table yeah. without legs. Yeah. And it's got all these wires ringing out. It's got eight channels. And we've got a TRS-80. And he says, I've got to find somebody that can run the computer. Well, my roommate in school was into computer sciences. So I'd, I'd actually seen a computer like from across the room. Like, <laughs> it was the other half of the room. Yeah. Don't worry, I know about computers. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we went down to Savannah, Georgia. In those days, what you had to do for the car to know where it was on the track is you had these one inch wide by eighth inch pieces of magnetic tape that you would then take racer tape and tape down onto the track. If you've ever been to Savannah, it's very, very So you're sandy. basically making like beacons. You points, are making right? beacons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the car sort of picks those off and it sort of can generate a map from lateral acceleration. I think we had eight channels. You had steering, throttle, engine RPM, etc. Wow. So we've got this TRS-80, and we're taping the stuff down. Yeah. And, of course, the sand just going to come yeah. up and everything. <laughs> and so Scott would go out, and, of course, the, the underbody of the car, there's always yeah. negative pressure, and it would suck the tape up. So you go back out and yeah. spend hours taping this stuff down. After a couple of days, we had 
basically three laps of data. <laughs> but it was exciting because you'd say, never seen it before. Right, that must have been amazing. But we must have looked like the biggest idiots because it was hotter than buggery. So I had like these, these Pacific Coast shorts on and sandals and we had cat flea collars around our ankles because I have a terrible red ant problem yeah, down there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. No shirt on because it's so hot. And plus... We've got this big cardboard box over the monitor, yeah. and then blankets over our head so we can actually see the squiggly lines. So well, that was cutting edge, by the way. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it yeah, really yeah. was. Yeah. So This will yeah. never last. <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fool's game. But yeah, come 1989, um, we had purchased a commander data system for the um, ARS car we were running out of Genoa Racing in San yeah. Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were running Venetia Selmi, and we actually we put... Uh, that acquisition system on the car and showed up at the first race of the year and they wouldn't let us run it. it took three year, uh, three events before they would actually let us run it. Well, just because it was too much technology? Or yes, they, they thought it was an escalation in the costs, etc. Yep. Yeah, okay. And you're quite right. Yeah, 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 so. yeah. But um, fr from from 1986, the start, you know, sort of just everything just sort of creeps along yeah. slowly. Yeah. And then really, at the end of the day, when Pi came out with um, their very mature software and all of a sudden the stuff was it was robust it was well done then it was like the, the, the gates just opened right it's funny you said that you by the end of this whole test you had like three laps of data yep but you guys must have been stoked about three laps of data right it was pretty neat to see we weren't yeah. sure what to do with it we you know and you know, if you think about it it was pretty rudimentary right mm -hmm. so you've got throttle steering rpm mm -hmm. there's not a lot of great not a great deal you can do with it um but it was a start. Yeah, yeah. no, and, yeah. and you had to see that it had the Yeah, you start, to use, you start using your imagination. Mm -hmm. and, the, yeah. uh, and the con, so to speak, for you kids is somebody says, anybody know how to use this thing? You raise your hand and say, I do. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Just so you can find your niche. Yeah. yeah. So then when you sit down with, uh, with the, the Ganassi you know, mainstay, what do, you, what do you tell them about dropping out of school? Oh, I mean, I was 21 years old, and somebody said you could drive a race car. Yeah. 20 years old. <laughs> what yeah. are you going to do, right? Yeah. yeah. And if you think about Mike Hull's background. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> drop of a hat. Yeah. yeah. He did the exact same thing. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, so Mike Hull was in, but then Dixon's like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will say that you know, Ganesi's a you know, very well-oiled machine. Mm -hmm. Just You can't believe how many very, very bright people work there. I mean, just ev everybody that works there is sort of at the top of the pyramid sort of people. Yeah. So my job going in was uh, was definitely a lot easier than what you would imagine. Right. Um, <laughs> was I in my pants when we went to Texas for the first race? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it worked out. It did. Yeah. But yeah. You know, there's a lot of pressure. I mean, that that is a, a, a very successful team with a very successful driver. And uh, you're the new guy on the block, and I right. really hope you don't do anything stupid. Yeah. And mm -hmm. thank God it worked out. All right. Well, let's set that con I mean, so we're jumping up here several years, but... Uh, to set that context, so Scott Dixon's sort of race engineer had been Chris Simmons forever. Yes. Uh, and then Chris kind of gets elevated to more of an administrative role within the technical department. You get assigned to Scott Dixon's role as race engineer. Now, here's the thing. Um, Chris and Scott were notorious as being a second half of the season duo. Like the second half of the season is when Scott shows up and all of a sudden wins championships. You guys win your first race together. Yeah. Is Chris Simmons like, mother or like, is there oh, a side no, of him that's no. like, ah, I kind of was hoping they wouldn't win out of the gate. Can, oh, you, no, no. can you wait? No. <laughs> no, no, because I can't tell you this for sure, but, you know, I think that Chris very much, Chris and Scott very much had a hand in deciding who was going to be there, and they wanted me. Yeah. And yeah. so if they, 
not done well, it was going to reflect poorly on them. Um, that, right, and I think sure. at the same time, I mean, they had the confidence of knowing that they had a very, very good team. Mm-hmm. Right? You just need somebody to come in and not do anything stupid. Yeah. And uh, as I say, fortunately, it, it worked out. And, and I will say that you know, Chris is very much involved um, – on the race car engineering sides, on the race weekends, he is he is right behind me on the timing stand. Yeah, we yeah. talk all the time. We bounce ideas off of each other. If there's anybody brighter in the paddock, I've not met them. Um, I, I can see why Scott and uh, and Chris and any of the drivers that Chris has worked with have had a lot of success. He's yeah. a very, very capable guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you started your career on the engineering side by lying about your knowledge of a system that you didn't really know about right if a uh <laughs> but if you think about it the technology was so new oh no one knew yeah i'm not i'm not faulting you there's nobody that. to call you out here's my question <laughs> so right. yeah. if if a 21 year old intern comes in saying he understands some new software that you guys don't have a handle on just yet mm-hmm. will you have the same patience with him that you would have had with yourself well i don't know the answer to the question <laughs> i really don't know yeah. how to answer that yeah um no. <laughs> <laughs> Just remember, in, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, right? right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. A little knowledge is better than none. Something. Sure. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. sure. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so you're driving. You're you're a faux engineer. Uh, at what point does engineering become the direction for you? Well, so circling back, so I, I'd done. We'd done this. Um, prep shop back in 86 and 87. 88, I moved to Indianapolis for a year and I ran Paul Radisic in Super V. Paul and I got along quite well. We were living together in an apartment here. He went back to New Zealand. I'd gone back to Montreal. And uh, phone rings and he says, I'm going to do the Tasman series down here. Why don't you come down and do this thing? Okay, so I went down. Had a lovely time. New Zealand still remains my favorite place I've ever been. And flying back, the plane stopped in San Francisco. I thought, you know, I love San Francisco. I've been there once with, before with my dad. And I'm just going to hang out here for a while. I couch surfed with a friend of mine, Stefan Dvornik. Stefan and I had run the car for Paul down in uh, New Zealand. And was there for about a week. And Angelo Ferro, who had just come off winning the uh, Formula 3000 championship with Ivan Capelli over in Europe the, under the Genoa Racing banner, was going to start up uh, a team in San Francisco, Marin County of all places. And so uh, Stefan and I met with him and uh, started up as a one-car ARS team with Venetia Salmi driving. Um, a couple of years later, we hooked up with John De La Pena. Angelo was sponsoring that, and that's where we ran Jim Vassar in Atlantic. And uh, Jimmy won a bunch of races. I think he won every race. He finished bar one, where he finished second. The rest of the ones, uh, there were failures in the car. Um, 94, we ran Greg Gray in from the Atlantic. 95, 96, we did uh, Indy Lights. First year, just with David De Silva. Second year, Mark Hotchkiss joined him. Yeah, yeah. And then at the end of that, 1997, I got a call from David Empringham, mm-hmm. who had known from Formula Atlantic, and they were looking for somebody at Players Forsyth to run Lee Bentham's lights car. Right. They wanted a two-car right. two yeah. team there. And asked if I'd be interested. I spoke to the players' people, and they had me over there. And so I wound up in the office with Lee Dykstra. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Terrific guy. Very, very knowledgeable. Very accomplished. Well-known. Uh, designer, engineer. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned a tremendous um, uh, amount of engineering processes, etc., from Lee. And that was that was the beginning of me just beca- becoming f- solely focused on engineering a race car. That was what I was brought in to do. Sure. And what would you say you were prior? Uh, 
I was a jack of all trades. You know, I'll, I'll yeah. give you an example. 1994, when I was running Greg Ray, you know, we, I was one of the mechanics on the car. I ran the data system. I built the dampers. I dialed the dampers. I drove the semi. Uh, we were jack of all trades in and those like days. A, and Indy Lights Atlantic team of that time. It sounded yep. like that's probably what everybody was. There was no yeah. front end mechanic and rear end. Like Correct. Everybody did what you did yep. to get the car on the track. Yeah. Yep. And even yeah. when I was at Players Foresight, I was building the dampers for all the lights cars, etc. And uh, at the end of 97, they decided they were going to add a second uh, Indy car. And that was with, with, with Patrick Carpentier, who I, I knew from my Atlantic days. So I went in as the assistant to Lee Dykstra. And we did that for two years, and then uh, they decided to move Lee into a technical director position and asked if I would take over on Pat's car. So I took over as the engineer on Pat's car in 2000. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I remember the first race we went to, we went to Homestead. That was the first race of the year. We tested there back in those days. I mean, it was unlimited testing, right? You're out there all the time. <laughs> and we, we did the first practice session, and Pat was quickest. And I remember walking back to the trailer feeling, that's not too bad. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's easy. Not, I can do not this. a great deal of oh, this. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not debut. different than anything else. That was the last time we were quickest in a session all year. But <laughs> fortunately, you know, I was able to get able to get Pat a couple wins the following year, if you remember, Mid-Ohio yeah. and yeah, Cleveland. Yeah, the Reinhard deal, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then 2003, obviously worked with uh, with Pat and Paul Tracy. Um, I, early on in the year, I was responsible for both cars. Uh, we'd lost Paul's engineer. He decided to go do something else, so I was doing that along with Tony Sicali. And Tony would just come in for the race weekends, but I'd provi- provide the bones for it. Yeah. Then we got Todd Malloy to come in and uh, and take over on the car, but we had a successful year there. And then from there, if you remember, at the end of 2003, it was questionable, like, what was going to go on with CART? Right, what is this? Yeah. And I had been approached by the Herdez people, uh, Keith Wiggins, and uh, he said, look, come hell or high water, we're going racing. Whether we have to go IRL, we'd like to stay in Champ Car if it exists, CART if it exists. So I went over there. And did two years with him there, and I, I, I quite enjoyed working with Mario Domingos. I, he's, uh, he's still one of my sentimental favorites. Um, very vastly underrated. And uh, then at the end of two years there, uh, Forsyth asked me to come back, so I went back there for 2006. And that was the year that we ran Mario, and then they switched over to AJ, and AJ had all that success. Um, you got a T-shirt. You got a T-shirt uh, out of it. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And uh, and penicillin. And then at the end of that year, Keith Wiggins called me back up again and says, I've hooked up with Paul Stoddart. He has, a, right. he has a private 737. Would you like to go to the races in the 737? I thought, well, worse ways to get there. Yeah, absolutely. So I wound up there in uh, 2007 with uh, Keith Wiggins. Okay. That was the Minardi champ car or whatever that was. That was it. Yeah. 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 yeah, Robert Dornboss. Oh, yeah. Bobby yeah. yeah and I had, met, <laughs> I had met Robert. Um, we'd done a test at the end of 2006 to try and find somebody to fill the Forsyth car. AJ was going off to cup racing. So we did an audition out at Motorsports Ranch Houston with four different drivers. And uh, that's when I first met Simon Pagenaud. And Simon was the last guy to go. And, I mean, he hadn't even finished doing his first outing. And we were on the phone. Like, this is the guy. But Robert was one of the guys there, too. And Robert's name was mentioned as one of the candidates for the Ozjet ride, and so that's how we got hooked up there. Have you followed Bobby D's career since then? You're you're familiar with all of his business ventures. Yes. Good man. Good. I feel like we don't talk about this enough. He might be in the market to do like a driver's drink bottle slash. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Appliance. Yeah. 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 Wow. So we sat down with Almondinger. 
what two days ago? Feels three like days ago? feels like six Last weeks ago. Yep. Yeah. And uh, he gave you a lot of credit for the success that he had when he switched over from Roosport. Yeah, that's very kind to of him. For, Forsyth. Uh, one of the quotes was, he made me what I was there. He would say, in your words, you go ring the sh- out of this thing and we'll be fine. Yeah. There was no, like, what do you think you need to do? It was like, just go drive it as hard as you can. Trust in me and we'll be we'll be good to go. And yeah, I mean, he was fortunate. He stepped into a, you know, a good, experienced team, right? Um, I remember... I have never even met the guy. He shows up at Portland on Thursday, and I'm sitting there sort of explaining to him, look, historically, we've not been all that sparkly at Portland. But we had a test here. Dominguez did a very good job of sorting the car. We think it's a little bit better than what we normally had. And I explained to him my philosophy on how a, a, a champ car should be set up. I said, so, you know, you're going to go out there, and it is going to understeer. You're just going to have to live with that. We'll take the hand of God to move the back of the thing. He said, okay, fine. So he went out, did the first session, came back, and he's like, you're right. Like, wow, this thing's just stuck to the ground. You can do anything you want with it. And then he went on a tear. And then, you know, we were, you know, he, we were really fortunate to get him. He's a, a remarkable talent. And yeah. uh, he called us at a time where uh, the team was definitely hitting on all cylinders. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we did have good competition in the series. Uh, obviously, Sebastian was there. But, uh, no, it was just the right time, the right place. And my... Uh, my only advice to AJ is just keep doing what always worked for you. Like, you got to this place because of your ability. Just keep doing what you're doing, and, and we'll work around it. And, it. and it seemed like he responded well to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, so you, you outlined kind of an interesting thing with that car, which I wonder if this is true for everything. Is, is So you went in saying, this car is going to understeer. Um, and, and why that matters to me is that, that indicates to me that you sort of look at this is what the car is. This is the platform we need to build it around to make the most out of this car. Rather than chasing down a driving style or dri- chasing down a, a way that everybody wants to go, this is how the car goes fast. So baseline, this is what it's going to be. And then we'll make little adjustments to that. In other words, some engineers may spend their entire careers chasing down what makes a driver happy. It almost sounds like your baseline is almost like this is what I think makes the car happy. And then we'll adjust to how you can fit within that parameter as a driver. Yeah, I mean, the, these cars sort of work one way, um, so you have to kind of be in that ballpark. And what happened, for example, at Portland or at Cleveland, where he subsequently won, we were just fortunate we put a car that was quite close on the track, and his expectations and his driving style just suited that car. It worked out well. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, none of us that do this would ever put a car on the track and just say, you know, that's it. Go deal with it. Right, it, right, it right, you right. can't get any better than this. Maybe that goes on other places, but uh, no, you, you've got to tailor it for, obviously, what's going on with it. the weather, track conditions, and the certain expectations of the drivers. Uh, there's some guys that can drive with a car that may be dancing around the back a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Some guys that need the, the rear glued to the ground. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais, same thing. If the rear's moving around, the rear's talking to him. He doesn't want to know. So, obviously, then the series shakeup happens. And, you know, we, we're we not necessarily a career retrospective show in the sense of we're three guys normally hanging out. But, obviously, on the engineering side, you're not making headlines the way a lot of the drivers that we meet with are. So, I do think your career is, is relevant. But during that time, like, one of the things that I remember you getting a lot of credit for with somebody like AJ, for example, is that, as you just laid out for us, you drove, and you came from a dad that drove, and and so it, the the reputation that you have is as one who understands drivers' 
better than maybe other engineers who didn't drive. Well, you say that, but I mean, Chris Simmons, an accomplished race car driver. Well, I didn't, uh, Eddie I, Jones. I, sure. Yeah. So there's, there's well, Chris, plenty of guys yeah, out I there. think Chris Simmons' record is fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think winning 100 championships is, is, uh, is great. But, but I'm right. saying overall, I don't know right. if that's fair to say. Um, but does, do you feel like that's really helped you out in terms of coming from a driving background? Uh, yeah. I would, yes, it's definitely a component. Yeah. 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 Do you think it, uh, for a guy that doesn't come from driving in the modern era? Well, I will say, I remember when I first started um, running the car myself in 2000 with Carponti, and I remember telling my wife, I do have a bit of an advantage because of the amount of experience I have as a mechanic, as everything on the car, and having driven. Ten years from now, I might be uh, a fossil. There's so many bright kids that were coming out of schools, out of these motorsports programs, and that continues to this day. The only thing they lacked was just the gray hair, the experience of having seen so many things, because there are so many things that can go wrong. And uh, that was actually one of the discussions we had when I met with uh, the Ganassi guys, was just maybe putting some gray hair on the on the timing stand, so we still had that. Hmm. And uh, ageist. I think that <laughs> I I remember walking back from qualifying at Indy this year after Scott was able to get pole, and we did a, a last minute change. But I knew it was the right thing to do, and it's that was purely down to gray hair. Yeah. If you were fresh out of school, had been doing this for one or two years, yeah, you may not have come to the same conclusion. In terms so. of like, I can see this little adjustment is going to make that difference because yes. it's how the track changes. This is what four laps right. is. And yeah, yeah, and yeah, and yeah. you're looking at what other people are doing. You're doing lap, and you're looking at their lap times, and you know where your car is. And like, my car is not currently set up to go that fast, so I need to change something. But you know, you're walking a fine line, right? Because it's got to go four laps. Right, 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 right. And yeah. you know, if it's eating its tires by lap three, no the whole thing's yeah, moved. Yeah, lap the first three. lap, the guy's terrified. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. it's not true. First lap, he's pretty impressed. Yeah, Second, you're, <laughs> you're starting to get warnings yeah. by the third lap. It's bad. Your heart's yeah. in your mouth. And if, if you remember, when Scott <laughs> finished up his run, he, we dropped off a fair amount. Of yeah. And he said that last lap was sketchy. Yeah. And and yeah, if that had happened that. any <laughs> earlier, we would have been P two again, just like the year before. Right. Right. So I, that's actually really surprised me. I would have thought that it'd be more concerning, you know, that teams are not, I shouldn't say concerning. It's just surprising to me that teams, instead of going, we need the youngest, freshest minds, it's actually like, we might need to put a little bit more veterans outlook on the top of this pit box. Yeah, but don't forget, at the same time, I am supported by all those young minds. Sure, absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah. We, we have uh, yeah. a variety of programs that support the IndyCar uh, program and the IMSA program and the Extreme program. Um, there, there is a, a very, very solid engineering foundation there. And uh, you know, I don't need to be a designer because we do have a design group led by a very, very bright man. Um, I don't need to be an expert on electronics. We have our electronics people. So I'm sort of the, t the tip of, of all this information and all this support. Um, so I, I focus on my little bit and so does everybody else. And as a result, the team gets results. Yeah. So kind of going back a couple steps, so, you know, you, you do your time at Forsyth, then you move over to, uh, I don't know, officially with the Minority team. Minority. Yeah, whatever yeah, that's right, called, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And 737 and team. Our team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then obviously the, the, the merge happens and you kind of you kind of jump around. But, you know, the teams were Forsyth, but Forsyth early to mid-2000s champ cards. Who, yes. You know, it, where I'm going with this is, you know, Dale Coyne uh, recently, relatively smaller teams. Uh, I mean, that's a relative statement, but from Forsyth. Uh, 
from, from fourth side. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, where I'm going with this is to Ganassi today, yeah. which mm-hmm. is yeah. a huge, powerhouse. huge powerhouse. Yes. A lot of layers of management. Mm-hmm. How much of a cultural change is that for you? Not as, not that big. I mean, yeah. it took me, it took me one or two days to to work out very quickly that there were a lot of things that I didn't need to worry about. Okay. And you're okay with that? Because yes. a guy who's the out there. teams you do where. Well, and that's where I'm going. Like yes. a guy who's working for Genoa uh, mm-hmm. is a guy that's, you know, working on the front end here and then going to drive the truck yeah, and then taping wherever you have to. Yeah, taping Correct. down your, yeah. your your makeshift beacons. Like uh, <laughs> sometimes that guy doesn't want to move away from that because you can almost become a micromanager of your own little world, mm-hmm. and that's a much bigger adjustment compared to. I'm just going to do these four things at Ganassi, and and hopefully that's enough. Uh, yeah. And again, like I said, you know, there, are, there are a lot of things. I don't need to do that. We have experts in yeah. place. Okay, yeah. so just you need to focus on what you're meant to be doing. I don't know if this is a fair question, but you know there are technologies in the sport now that didn't exist 20 years ago or even 10 yeah. years ago, You know, simulation stuff, that kind of thing. For older engineers, are there things out there? Obviously, you're not expected to know every detail of all these new softwares and whatnot, mm-hmm. but are there technologies out there that you just can't wrap your head around? Is that part of aging as an engineer? No. Again, you're surrounded by enough uh, bright people that do have experience with this. So right. yeah, for example, you bring simulation's yeah. a perfect example. Yeah. To me, it's a bit of a black box. Right. Like, right? you don't understand how this works. It just works. Right. Yes. Right. But we yeah. do have people that support that program. And and even there, there's some hidey holes. It's very, very complex, right? So it's it's very easy to have a math error, um, uh, a lookup table error in all your data that will lead you astray. Um, but for me, you know, I use it as a tool like everybody else does. And uh, I don't need to know how to code. I don't need to know all the ins and outs of how the hydraulic system runs the the pod. Yeah, yeah, et cetera, yeah. Right? Yeah. I need to be an end user that has enough uh, confidence that it's a well-vetted machine and that we're using it um, within its limitations. Sure. Right? It's yeah. a bit like using... Let's not just using solely a, focus on this one... Th- tool right. to falsely lead us down the wrong path. It's yeah. a bit like a screwdriver. It says on the side, this is not a pry bar. So <laughs> you know, you've yeah, got to understand yeah. what your tool is. Yeah. Well, anything's a hammer if you swing it hard enough. That's exactly <laughs> well, right. Wait, like when we, when we sat down with Craig Hampson uh, a couple of years ago, the, the thing that stood out to me with him is that his strength is that he is fundamentally good with methodology. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yep. that, and that's not going to change. You know, the tools may change within that system, but the methodology is ultimately how he's going to succeed. And I get the impression that's probably not too different from how you're looking at things. You know, Craig came He's like, in. don't you dare call me Craig Hampson again. Yeah, he's like, don't you tell me how to engineer. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm genuinely flattered. Does it's he like, have a t-shirt like this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Craig has the benefit of a, a formal education than having worked at Newman Haas, around some very, very bright people over yeah, the years. Pete Gibbons, uh, Guillaume Rockland, that's now at Red Bull Racing, et cetera. So he learned, um, you know, very well-funded, very well-run, very well-structured environment. And, it can, it, you know, it, He's, that's where he learned his habits out of school, and he continues to be very good at it. Um, I, I think we all try and work in a similar fashion, uh, but you know, everybody's different, right? Yeah, right. They're, they're, you have you have a voice, you have a personality. So you've worked with just like the all-star list of drivers in IndyCar, you know. And if someone doesn't know that list, I mean, just a few off the top is Dixon, Canon, Bourdais, Almondinger. Paul Tracy, Tagliani, Buddy Rice, Brian Clausen. Brian Clausen. A lovely guy. Yeah. yeah. When you look at all these, like, really talented people that you've gotten to work with, what are the, the main 
personality traits that stand out similarly? For the most part, these are people, uh, one, they have tremendous personalities, but two, these people be success at anything. Right. You know, if they had a shoe store, mm -hmm. they'd have a chain of shoe stores internationally. Yeah. Um, these are high achievers. Yeah. They're very focused, very driven, um, very you know, above average brightness. So I th I'd say that's a common thread. There's yeah. a lot of these guys that would excel no matter what they chose to do. Are there any Brian Clausen memories that stand out? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just the year we ran Brian uh, at Coin, I mean, he was he was just super happy with the car. It, just, it was a lot easier to drive, and he was able to actually concentrate on the driving. But we were, we used, we were religious about We had the four drivers that year, and we were religious about sitting down at the end of each day and having a meeting around a round table, and mm -hmm. the engineers and the drivers would sit, and we'd let everybody know what we're doing. And Brian brought up something that my driver was talking about as well. And he he picked up on what it might actually be from his vast experience. Uh -huh. Turned out he was right. He had a solid race with us. The day after the race, he came in. He and I sat down, and we started formulating plans for the following year. And I was just super excited to have the guy back. Because yeah. I knew the, the first couple times he'd done it, he felt like he wasn't getting his brain around uh, what it took to go quick at the place. and was starting to doubt himself. And our car turned out to be quite an easy car to drive. It was a comfortable car to drive. Yeah. And so all of a sudden he found his voice and found his feet. And so we had laid these plans out. And yeah. And then uh, it was shortly thereafter he lost his life, and I was just devastated. On a, a guy like that who doesn't come from a data-driven series where it's seat of your pants, kind of figured out and make mechanical changes, uh, how much of it, how much of the process for him learning to get up to speed and just thinking about the future for this type of driver how much of the process for them is somebody like you having to educate them on what the tools are and how to use them with, with like data and understanding how to look at what you're doing and that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, the drivers, as, as, and it's less so now, it's right. difficult because you don't have as many test days available right. in the junior formulas. Yeah. I mean, when I did um, Indy Lights with Mark Hotchkiss in 1996, I think we did 34 test days. <laughs> so the guys are there yeah. learning their craft. Right. So when they get to the big cars, they've learned a great deal from the junior formulas. Um, now, with the guys coming up, uh, they, they leapfrog up very, very quickly. Um, and then get thrust into these very, very quick cars. Off you go. Hope it turns out for you. Uh, we don't expect the driver to come in and be the race car engineer. That's why we're there. Sure. So we try and hold their hands and educate them on the stuff that they need to look at. Um, I would say at Ganassi, we spend a lot of time making sure they have access to the other driver's data. Uh, in car video, etc. What I'm going with that is it is a, a guy like Alex when he shows up. You know, any kid that's coming out of lights or somewhere in Europe or Japan or whatever, they've already got a fun, if they're coming from open wheels, they already have a fundamental understanding of the basics of a data overlay, how to read what they're doing on that kind of stuff. A guy like Brian does not, in my opinion. Maybe I'm incorrect about this. But he knows it exists, um, and, and sure. you know, he's, he can grow into it. Right, and that's my point. It's like, to me, you're a couple of years behind on even what a, a junior open wheel kid would know. Is that a disadvantage if somebody from USAC wanted to come up here or, or dirt? Yeah. Potentially, but at the same time, I mean, it doesn't take long to begin to understand there are a variety of tools at your disposal. So when you come in as a driver, you've just come out of sprint cars and midgets. You know the stuff exists. You, you read the trade papers, et cetera. You've got to, hopefully, you're bright enough to grab stuff with both hands. The stuff that, the, the, the really big first order stuff that can help you. Um, work with your data engineer. Look at the data. Compare it to your uh, to your teammates. Have a look at the split reports. These are all pretty simple things. It's not hard to work out. Sure. There's no uh, complicated math in it. Yeah. And if you're Brian Klaus and you're smart enough, yeah, to do you, that. You, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, you're yeah, competitive, yeah, exactly. so you'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. 
So one of the things that I, I've enjoyed about learning about you is that you seem to be very good at explaining hard to explain things to dumb people like ourselves. Um, a lot of engineers that have worked underneath you, like junior engineers, have given you praise for being really patient and and not not and being willing to answer any question. Like there's no question that you're like, I'm not going to answer that or that's too dumb. You should figure that out. Does that extend towards people with arrogance? I imagine the people that are saying these things are the ones smart enough to recognize it. I, I, I think, you know, arrogant, impatient people in, in what I do, yeah. they don't last very long. Man. Right. You, right. You, you're in a team, you're in a very pressure-packed team environment. Everybody's got to be pulling on the rope. And if you've got one guy that's pushing, yeah. that right. is right. not helping. Yeah. And that person is not going to last very yeah. long. Yeah. So you've got to learn to play nice with all the other reindeers. Yeah. It's yeah. as simple as that. Yeah. And, you know, I have seen some people talking down to uh, newer members on the racing team. And I've taken those people aside and say, look, these people are new. They don't know anything. They're relying on us to teach them. So our job here is to elevate these people, make them as good as possible. And I'm probably, I'm working with somebody that will take my job in a few years. That's all very well and good. My job is to make sure they're, they're well-educated, they're capable of doing the stuff. Um, while that's going on, I think it's just doing nothing but strengthening the team. Yeah. Yeah, we're big proponents of trying to get advice from people such as yourself in the industry for, like, the young engineer who might be listening to this in college right now or, you know, in high school or whatever, or or even a mechanic or a future driver because you've obviously worked with literally the best guy I can think of in IndyCar, um, and you would know pretty quickly if it was somebody you wanted to work with or not. Mm -hmm. So any sort of advice you have for young up-and-comers, whether it's an engineer, driver, or mechanic, what is it that a guy like yourself or the people you work with are looking for? Yeah, this, uh, this is maybe a terrible thing to say, but, you know, I've been responsible for hiring a variety of people over the years in different positions. And when I go in to, to meet these people, I already know they've got what it takes to, uh, to to do this job and do this job well. What I'm doing is meeting with them to find out if they're a normal human being. Is this somebody that's going to do well when we're thrust in a van and drive four hours to mid-Ohio, work old for three days straight, help pack the trailer, hot right. and sweaty, get back in the van, and not bitch. Right. So right. you're gauging, can I hang out with yes. this person? Yeah. It, does this person have the personality that will integrate well within the team? Because you're going to spend and months shoulder to shoulder with these people. Exactly. And you yeah. might ha- you might hire somebody. You're looking for a very specific skill set. And, and there might be a small gap in that skill set. That doesn't matter. Because you can fill that in. What you want is somebody that's a team player that's going to strengthen the team. You know, the rising tide raises all ships. That's what we're after. Yeah. So if you have two resumes that one is much better than the other, but you sit down with both people and the one that's got a bad attitude is most likely not getting the job over the other one. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah. That, I think that's the same for any of these teams. Yeah. They understand that there's a dynamic that goes on there. So on that level, if I'm 22 and I'm just out of school and I know everything, what is the best way to kind of lose your affection? My affection? Yeah, what's the Break best way with? to what <laughs> be a bad yeah, kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, what, so what's what's the what's the best way to talk myself out of a job? I don't think I've met anybody like that because again, we've been pretty fortunate uh, to to be able to hire people that mesh well. Mm-hmm. There are people that do burn out, flame out uh, on the actual racing front of things. Yeah, um, there's some people that are actually vastly overqualified. To have the position that they're in, mm-hmm. uh, I will give you an example with a name. Uh, 2006, I was working, my assistant was Ben Schmidt, and Ben now heads up the whole simulation and 
technology department at Honda Motorsports, HPDI, or HPD, and just saw him a couple days ago. Um, doing what he was doing as an assistant and waiting for me to either be fired, kidnapped by aliens, or <laughs> yeah, hit right, by right, a bus. Right, right, right. He wasn't keen, you know. Yeah, yeah. So he spent a couple of years there uh, after I left, but you know, he got this position. And, you know, extremely intelligent guy, very, very capable. Yeah. And so he found a different route with him. And there's, there's several guys that, that I have worked with that have gone on to have successful businesses uh, that are somewhat related, still reliant on um, income from motorsports. You've seen the sport go from the most tobacco money probably ever jammed into a sport yes. to now where we're really struggling to find sponsorship. How much more fun was it when we had tobacco money? Because we're big fans of trying to get that back. <laughs> <laughs> Over in DC, was so the idea is it's, it's only motorsports yes. that's allowed to have yeah, tobacco yeah. sponsorship, just, yeah, yeah, just yeah, motorsports. Yeah, yeah. You're okay. trying to save an industry. Right. Yeah. How much fun was it? Uh, again, I think I touched on that earlier. It was a lot more free and easy um, because you had the energy of youth, mm-hmm. right? We were just all so much younger. So yeah, right. right. It was a lot so easier. That's an argument to for being young, not for getting big tobacco money. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there anything that or any test that stands out in your mind where I'm like, man, I can't believe for seven days we've been here at this track just burning tires down or whatever it is because there were no rules on that kind of thing back then. Oh, yeah. We, we, you know, one of the, the things th- in the United States, obviously, with the racing season being the way it is, mm-hmm. there's only a few places you can test, right? You yeah. go down to Sebring, Florida, you go out to Firebird. Yeah. And so, you know, you go out and do Sebring, and the driver eventually after four days is like, guys, i got to get out of this damn thing. I'm going to kill you. I can't do this anymore. Yeah, right. So you go out to Firebird. Well, the problem with Firebird was it really didn't sort of apply to anything we did. Yeah. Um, and it chewed through tires like a son of a bitch. And I can remember going through 14 sets of tires in a day there. Wow. Yep. Yeah. No. But, you know, we did miles because in those days we're getting a new car every year. Yeah. Right. right. Um, big upgrades the engine. Um, gearbox, you know, it's every year completely redesigned yeah. gearbox so yeah. you would go and you'd put miles on these things because yeah. invent- if invariably something would fail yeah and you right. needed to know this before yeah. you yeah. went to the first race so mm-hmm. that's why we went down and burned all these tires off yeah but that's not the case anymore now are you are you happy or sad to see that gone yeah mm, uh, i appreciate not doing 160 180 days on uh, on, the on the road, road. yeah you know, it's yeah. down to 65 or 70 yeah, nowadays yeah, right. so it's pretty tolerable for the families mm-hmm. <laughs> we had this knack when i first started to play with foresight <laughs> for whatever reason they would schedule schedule these tests like on a monday tuesday or a, a friday saturday or something so your family would be at home be the winter time and you'd bugger off for the weekend yeah right, right. yeah right and i finally yeah. went to management and said can we just adjust that a little bit yeah right i'd like to see it's my the wife. time i can yeah. spend with them yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Um, but, you know, we have, we've reallocated resources, right? So we're not out there burning the car down. Right. Um, the car that we're running right now is a very mature car. Mm-hmm. Um, you're well aware of what the potential failure points are. So you've reallocated resources. Um, we've got uh, dedicated simulation engineers. Um, we have very expensive programs that uh, utilize to do that. Yeah. So y- you've taken some of your resources from what you would have spent you know, flying out to Phoenix and doing all this stuff right. and, and, p- and put them here. So uh, there's still you know, similar financial demand. The trick is finding that money in order to do it, isn't it? Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Have you gone into one of these big simulation rooms and thought about taping down fake beacons on a sandy racetrack <laughs> <laughs> like, like how, how did far we get here up half dressed yeah, yeah right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah yeah no shirt yeah <laughs> okay so we we love learning about things that you know you wouldn't know because you weren't a part of a team 
So we always ask, what's the driver that got the test that no one knows about? Like you mentioned earlier that Pagano got to go do one of those tests at MSR Houston. Yeah. Who's somebody that stands out that we would, we would not know got a test with one of the IndyCar teams you work with? Gee, I'm trying to think. Marshall Pruitt. <laughs> How'd that go? <laughs> you know, in Mark Hotchkiss' Indy Lights car? No, you got to do a couple laps. Mark uh, organized a, uh, an employee day. Okay. Buttonwiller. Yeah. I believe his father was one of the people instrumental in getting that place built, and he brought his lights car out and let everybody drive it. Huh. And everybody you know, was very sensible. Yeah. And uh, Marshall said, I'd like to do some laps, too. And <laughs> looked like a... Looked like a circus bear riding a tricycle, to be honest with you. Look. He squoze himself in there. Uh. But he was half out. The car only came up to his waist. And I said to uh, Tom Knapp was with me those days. And I said, it looks like Marshall Marshall is s***ing a Lola. But he managed to do a lap or two. He managed to do a lap or two underhanded like this. Oh, man. Uh, the, the, the best thing that came out of that, in those days, we had, uh, Pi, you had an annual license and service agreement. Okay. Yeah. Well, there was like, I think, four or $5,000 per car. Yeah. You pay that every year. And we're really smart. We got the Pi guys to come out and drive the car. Ooh. And we did get bills for a couple of years. Yeah. So it was a good business. Yeah. Move. That yeah. is smart right there. Yeah. 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 Interesting. But no one comes to mind in terms of drivers that... You know. That we, we snuck in that you never heard from again. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the ones that really stand out for me, uh, I mentioned Simon Pagano. And yeah. then when we yeah. did the test with Palou in 2019 yeah. with mm-hmm. Dale Coyne at Mid Ohio, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was just shocked about that. at yeah. the pace of the guy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was saying that the, you guys go to the test at Mid Ohio, cars, you know, all over the place because the track's really crappy, and you were making changes that he was shocked by. Like everything was a big change when he's used to small changes. Yeah, so we were talking about it before the test and after the test. I said, you know, one of the things that a lot of the guys that come over from Europe aren't used to is we will adjust the car to suit the track and suit the driver to a certain extent, you yeah. know, within what makes sense. Yeah. But, you know, the thought of changing the, the rear geometry or, yeah, right. or something yeah, you know, fairly that. major like that was a yeah. genuine shock to him. And uh, <laughs> uh, you know, talking to him, Santino Ferrucci had the same thing saying uh, to say about having come from Europe uh, very recently, where he was racing, it's very common for them to present you with a race car. And yeah, off you go. Totally do it. Yeah. yeah, and if your teammates, you know, a bazillionth of a second quicker than you, yeah. then you're obviously not doing a very good job. Yeah, right. And they're right. very reluctant to yeah. adjust it. Yeah. Talking to Alex, he was telling me a bit about his car over in Japan, and the car had some particularly bad habits, <laughs> and uh, they, they wouldn't they wouldn't change the car. Yeah, the engineer told him. Yeah, well, this is just the way the car is. Lovely. And there's a guy that spent some time in IndyCar, very short period of time, <laughs> who was kind of legendary for that kind of approach. Uh. And I just threw that name out. I said, sounds like Joe Smith. And he said, how do you know? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. Is that quick? Yeah. 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 Now, do you think that's why when some of the people come over to IndyCar from overseas, and they don't know that they can ask for big changes because maybe they're not a team mm-hmm. that you're on. That's why a guy like Dixon always looks good against these big names like Erickson or whoever because they don't know that they can take advantage of someone like yourself or Chris to be like, hey, no, no, change the diff. You know what I mean? No, that, they learn very, very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell, so the flip side of that coin is Sebastian Bourdais went over to race Formula 1. Sebastian Vettel was his teammate. Obviously a very, very rapid kid. Sebastian came from champ car with working with Newman Haas with working with Craig winning a lot of championships a lot of races and he had a complaint about the car the aerodynamic stability uh, of the car at higher ride heights the rear was unruly 
and he was very vocal about it. Well, they really didn't like hearing him pissing and moaning about this all the time, and he ultimately wore his welcome out. If you remember the race that they fought, that Vettel won his first race at Monza, yeah, Sebastian had qualified third. Well, they sort of thought about what Sebastian was complaining about and started addressing it to stabilize the rear downforce in the car better, and lo and behold, things started going well. Sebastian's car broke right at the start. He didn't even get to go. Vettel wins the race. And by then, like I said, uh, there was uh, obviously a faction within the team that they decided they mind. just didn't yeah. really want to hear him anymore. Yeah. But he was right. I, I understand you work for Chip Ganassi, but <laughs> I'm going to ask this anyway. There's a culture, you know, we meet with a lot of NASCAR engineers and crew chiefs as well. Yeah. There's a culture within NASCAR when we ask somebody about their favorite kind of performance gray area that they exploit. Mm -hmm. They always kind of snicker like, yeah, I... I I'm kind of proud when I get that car through tech. Wow. And <laughs> well played. <laughs> um, do, is this a, like, like NASCAR crew chief types really pride themselves on getting away with yes, something? Yes, they do. Yeah, yeah. We like in the sports car side, you don't do it. It's like, uh, oh my god. And like, what, are are you proud of anything you've got through tech? Because it 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 seems like something that isn't talked about as much in in your side of the fence. No, not at all. It's. I, I've had this conversation many, many times um, with a variety of guys. Um, you know, if you go back to the um, early 2000s mm -hmm. when Sebastian Bourdais was winning all these right. races. And a much more open rule book. And we're, yeah, and we're yeah. finishing second and third to Sebastian. Yeah. They won these championships. I never thought, it never crossed my mind that, that they would be cheating. Right. And Craig's on the other side, and when we would win a race... Yeah, they, they would never cross their minds that we were cheating. Yeah, Craig, yeah. Craig's a cheating son of a bitch. Oh, let's worst. just get this yeah, going. Let's, let's get this rivalry. Yeah. Said Michael Cannon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, to answer your question, no. I mean, everything's above board. And I will say, when I interviewed with uh, with Ganassi to take this position, I, I made it very clear to them that I'm I won't do anything that's outside the rule book. Like, just so you know, you know, we've been we've had decent cars at Coin. It's because they're well set up. We're not doing anything illegal. I had no interest. They were like, perfect, good. We're, we don't do that. What I hate is that you're looking me in the eye with a very straight face, which makes me think this is real. Yeah, I believe yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. God I mean, we've done some cool... One of the coolest things that I was ever involved in, believe it or not, let's go back to 1994, we were racing Formula Atlantic, and the tire supplier at the time had switched over from uh, bias ply to radial tires. The first race of the year was at Phoenix, and they'd had different. I was general racing with running Greg Ray, and uh, the the tire manufacturer had done some tests at Nazareth, but it was with a team that wasn't particularly quick, and we knew what the lap times looked like that they had done at the test versus what we expected. I was like, okay, maybe it's just difference in tire grip, but it's not very fast. So we went and we did a private test, open test. Uh, at Phoenix early in the year with Greg, and the tires were just not man enough. I mean, they were chunking, dis disintegrating, oh, wow. like yeah, bad, bad. to the point of being a safety problem. Yeah, right, right. So you got to hold the manufacturers like these things are just come apart. Uh, they'll be fine. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> oh, I know this company. Yeah. At the Summer end, down. At the, <laughs> the at the end of the preceding year, we had met this guy. He was a spectator at a race, and we just started chatting with him. And he had this business where he took an infrared gun, and he'd go around and he'd look for heat problems in industrial equipment, bearings that are going to fail, overheated uh, wiring, electronics. That was what his company did. And he's a big race fan. Oh, that's awesome. I want to go to that guy's job. So <laughs> we thought about this, and we got a hold of him. It's a business card. And we had him come out for the race weekend. We flew him out to Phoenix, and he brought one of his infrared guns, and he sat in turn four at Phoenix. So we qualified in the pole with Greg, and the race goes. And so we're going. 
And we had worked pretty hard to make sure the tire temperatures were nicely balanced on the car, et cetera, and knew we could only push so hard. The driver in second, Richie Hearn. Yeah, yeah, for in sure. second, starts hounding us, goes around us, and starts to pull away. But we're just managing our tires. And this guy's sitting up in the grandstand, and he's got a radio, and he radios us, and he says, his right front tire is getting awfully hot. And a lap and a half later, it popped and put Richie into the wall, and we won the race. Huh. So, yeah. you know, that's not bending the rules, no, but it's taking advantage taking of something advantage. that exists. Yeah, right. that's, yeah. Yes. having yeah. all the tools yep. available yeah. that you didn't know were around. Right, right. So, yeah, that, yeah, that's racing. Yep. That's yeah, we, uh, we did a TV episode about Smokey Eunuch a couple years ago because yep. he's one of our all-time heroes. Yep. Do you think the sport needs more Smokey Eunuch types that think way outside the box and come up with unique solutions, sort of like the one you just described? Well, the box is getting awfully small. Right. So right. now, you know, instead of building a 7-8 Chevelle, something that Smokey was allegedly famous, allegedly, allegedly right? there's a great show that disproves that yeah <laughs> right okay, yes but most people know these various legends yeah, yeah, right yeah. you're driving off without the fuel tank yeah, et cetera. Yeah. there is a so show that proves that's true <laughs> yes so we've funneled our efforts into different areas uh-huh. you know yeah. um, technology is uh, far more uh, is used far more now mm-hmm. in this industry mm-hmm. there are logical explanations for the various projects that you're chasing and so you've you've moved you you're not spending the money reforming the the fender lines or mm-hmm. acid dipping body parts right, etc right, right. right yeah you're working on logical science driven projects that will return invest you know information that you can use one of the things i'm a big proponent of is is trying to distill large amounts of information down to a single number or a very understandable concept so that you have this metric that tells you something right that blob that blob explains five different things and you notice that the, every time we go fast, the blob is right there. So when you look at the metrics and there's a blob down here, you go, one of those five things in there is interfering. We've stepped away on that. So you, you're trying to... Um, Part of being at what, you, what you're referring to as the top tip, your, your kind of role. So you can almost have information overload because you have okay. so much data. We do, so yeah. what's the worthwhile mm-hmm. data to look at? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, there's a, a, a staggering amount of information that's available to you. And on the, the race weekends, we have two practices and a qualifying uh, you have very little time between sessions. Uh, you're like a gunslinger in the wild. Or you're just shooting you're just wildly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, your head spinning the whole time. It, it's very difficult when you get to the end of the day. This is more of a philosophical thing, but um, the current nature of IndyCar racing is it's not spec, but it is a very small, small box it you is. guys are working within. And it's going to continue to go that way. And that was made for cost containment reasons and also competition reasons to, to keep the field closer within reason or give smaller teams a lower barrier. It's a, Honestly, it's fiscally responsible. Sure. Right. Well, so, so I guess my question is, a team like yours, you, I don't know anything about the Ganassi budget. Maybe it is lower than it used to be, but you're still the one of the bigger budgeted teams. You can still reallocate those resources. But what you're reallocating them towards are, if we look at somebody th- something like Smoky Unic, his stories are legendary. Those are sexy, fun stories that mm-hmm. two idiots are still making documentary, do- documentaries about 50 years later. Yes. A new piece of software or simulation tool is not sexy. <laughs> right, um, right. right, is we're never going to make a documentary about that time that yeah. this, you know. Yeah. Uh, Shaker post. Do you see any advantage in opening up the rules for that storytelling reason that maybe the cars would be radically different from team to team uh, and I you th- could have that smoky eunuch type show up? I, I, that think, I, I think that you know, if you look at all forms of motor racing, yeah. but slowly but surely now Everyone's it down. doing it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, even if you were to open up the rules, if you think about the technology and the amount of information that we have available to us, one, you'd very quickly build a race car that would exceed human capabilities controlling the thing. 
right? I mean, we'd here be, on the day of the autonomous <laughs> race at Indy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you, you can't have people. Oh, there's an okay. I just found an you opinion. Can, you can't yeah. have people strapped to things doing 350 mile an hour laps at Indy when you know something goes wrong. Yeah, you were at Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you've got that. So you've got to have some sort of rule book. Obviously, somebody's got to pay for that. And as, as soon as the rule book comes out, then you've already just defined the box and and where. Where, or the pyramid, and where everybody's finally going to wind up. It might take them a little while, but that's where everybody's going to wind up. You think about when Jim Hall showed up with the first ever wing on the race car. Well, next thing you know, everybody had wings, right? So, you know, now we're able to uh, digitally design and, and proof of concept a variety of different things. And, and most, most teams are capable of doing that if they have the, the resources. So we're all going to wind up in a very similar spot. You... Just said what Jeff Brown said. Yeah. So, and I'm going to say, assume you guys are smarter than me. Um, Jeff Brown basically said the same thing, and, and his wording was that the data and tools that are available now get get everybody in the same place because we can now run a million different scenarios that you couldn't during Jim Hall's era to right. show up at the big wing. So everybody's going to exactly. get that same basic shape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so spec racing it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about think about what a modern jetliner looks like, a, a yeah. twin-engine jetliner, you can't tell 737 from a from an Airbus. Yeah. There's a reason for Camden that. Camden Thrasher. I was going to say, sir, I have an app and everything. Yeah. You are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the main, the main have, idea they, is the same. They have evolved that yeah. way yeah. for a reason. Yeah. That yeah. shape makes yeah, sense. what this yes. is, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, so we both picked up on some body language. Yeah, I noticed the trigger. Yeah, yeah, so what, what uh, just purely on coincidence, what big event happened today, Michael Cannon? Oh, the Autonomous Challenge. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. just, just a few miles from where we are. Exactly. Yeah. I did watch it for okay. a little bit. Yeah. It's impressive. I mean... You out of a job? It, it's... Coming fast? Not that I'm out of a job. I'm bloody Scottish people, right? But autonomous <laughs> driver. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I was fast. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, if you watch it, you know... The whole thing looks very Fisher Price, right? The car's sort of creeping around the track. Well, that's the way putting it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The that's cars are creeping around the track. Where you stand. Old. <laughs> right. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and you're unimpressed. Like, yeah. how do you do that, my Pontiac? Right, right. But you know, they're, they're breaking new ground, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, the right flyer. How long was its first flight? Not even yeah. the wingspan of a, of a 747. Right, but things right. move along. Quickly, 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 and I, I think there's there's definitely applications for autonomous vehicles yeah. in the future. Um, but at the same time, I think that the industry we're in, I think you'll start to see more use of artificial intelligence for making decisions on um, race cars and changes, adapting to conditions. Mm-hmm. But um, sports are about people. Yeah. Right, people like yeah. it. people like their heroes. They yeah. like stories Absolutely. about their heroes. They want to see their their hero excel against their other heroes. So uh, I think I don't think the drivers are in, in any danger of being phased out. Are you as scared of the robotic dog that they had as a flagger today as we are? <laughs> that, that is the scariest thing in the <laughs> world to me right now. Exactly. Have you seen a Terminator film? Or, yeah, hundred percent. This is built by Cyberdyne. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. 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 As, a, as an engineer, do you look at that going, okay, I'm going to have to engineer a gun to take that thing down? <laughs> like a, like electronic? Snare, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's just something. Well, I told you, I'm a tuner, so I'm, out, I'm yeah. off the hook on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we do a pass-along question, and uh, today we had lunch with uh, well, one of your drivers, yeah. Alex Palou. Yeah. And uh, he wants to know when you guys are all kind of hanging around the hotel lobby, getting ready to go to dinner, why you just go to dinner and don't wait on him. 
I'm anti-social in a lot of ways. Um, <laughs> yeah, that'll translate here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, no. <laughs> this all stems from, I don't, I'm not going to name names, but yeah, I was a young junior uh, racer coming up, and he was so enamored with learning everything that, <laughs> that he could that he wanted to move into the house with my wife and I. Oh, God. And no. I thought, we, need, I gotta, we need names here. Yeah, i got to yeah. keep these it. guys at arm's length now. I see them enough at work. <laughs> gotta keep, yeah. i got to bank them back a Besides, little bit. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Listen, i got kids. What's, I don't need another I, one. i got Alex Pollutant, lovely 24-year-old yeah. 24 kid. Yeah. I'm a 60-year-old lump of coal, as I said. What are we going to talk about? The race car? Yeah. Right. Super. Yeah. yeah. Super. Got enough Real good. Right, right. Real good. Exactly. Yeah, so you're just on your way to dinner. I am. Yeah. I am, and a lot of times, given with what's been going on lately, I'll just door dash into the hotel. Yeah, 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 yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, sure. kind of want to stay healthy. So all we're doing is talking about how you need to, you need to choose staff that you're enjoying hanging out with. Yeah. Only you don't want to hang out with anybody. Not, not so much. <laughs> I respect this. Yeah. yeah. I no. think we both do. Yep. Yep. I, I, I have enough friends in real life. I yeah. I all right. So all right. So you go out, you do your race weekends. You got the wife. What, is, what happens when you come home? Like, is, is racing just not on, ever on the television? Oh, no, no. She wants a full replay. She'd like to know everything that happened oh, on did. the weekend. Oh, that's cool. Okay, that's um, cool. <laughs> I came in after Portland. It was 4 o'clock in the morning, so we took red eye back. Yeah. <laughs> I come in. I'm dog tired. She says, you've got to see this. I'm like, what? You've got to see this. got to see this. Here's Jimmy Johnson making Bordeaux's bitch. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, when, she, when we were first together, you know, we were in our 20s, yeah. and uh, my wife would come with us to the races. Mm -hmm. and she knew all the people and you know, all the players. And uh, she actually drove Jimmy Vassar to his first ever IndyCar test. Oh, cool. Oh, that's oh, awesome. Yeah, 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 for, so yeah. She's in. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so she, I mean, she knows all these people. So... You know, we, we grow up, we start having a family, I have two two sons, Cooper, 23, Colin, 21, who's a, a biology major at IU right now, mm -hmm. and life starts interfering. I mean, she can't just pull the kids out whenever she wants. Yeah. It was a lot easier when they're you know, five, six, seven years old. They yeah. can miss some days of school, but after that. So she's sort of gotten further away from it, so she watches from afar, but she's uh, very, very supportive of what I do, and, and um, uh, very supportive very, very patient. This isn't a life for everybody. And as I said earlier, her dad was an amateur racer of note and an airline pilot. So she was used to her dad being away. Yeah, sure. And so uh, she's, after 30 years, uh, next month, uh, she's quite used to me coming. Wait, so how tough was last year? Pardon me? When you're home all the time. How tough was last year? It was great. It was fantastic. Oh, she oh. wasn't sick of you after a month. No, no, no not no, at all. It, it, it really you need to go out to the garage? Yeah. Get some done out there? <laughs> right. Yeah. The, this no, racing thing looks interesting. Why don't you go engineer that more? Yeah. You know? No, no, it was, it was really enjoyable. I, okay. I devoted, I really enjoyed to cook, when I, enjoy cooking when I'm not okay. uh, That's cool. away. Yeah. So yeah. What's the specialty? What's the Mike Cannon? Everything. Ah, so, okay. like, one night I'll make, I'll make a sukiyaki. Okay. Oh, you know. And then yeah. I'll, I'll make <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Fire it up real quick. Yeah. Tagine yeah. chicken. So anything, right? Just I really enjoy cooking. Okay. So it was a chance to do that on a regular basis. Yeah. So that was very enjoyable. It also made me realize, because I've been doing this since uh, I was 20 years old, and I'm, as I say, I'm almost 60. Yeah. And I've never had a summer. Even Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. my children grew up in the summers. I am away. And, yeah. and I got to see the trees blossom and the grass yeah. grow mm -hmm. and yeah. work around the house a little bit. Roses, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. stop and smell the roses. And uh, it was kind of a sobering reminder of, of how I spent 
yeah, 40 years. Yeah. Part of your life, yeah. yeah. Yep. But at the same time, the sport's been very, very good to me. And so no complaints. Yeah, right. A little bit of projecting on my, my own home <laughs> life. But oh is it no, is it weird? Because I, I, I can speak for this firsthand. Is it weird? You can be so singularly focused on your race and your car and your team. Is it weird to come home and she knows more about what actually happened in the race than you do? Because that's a thing for me. You know, it is kind of funny because yeah. where I stand on the timing stand, I really don't need to see the video. I've got timing and scoring. Yeah, right, right, and everything. right. So she'll tell me things that went on in the race. Mm-hmm. I'm completely oblivious to yeah, it. Yeah, there's no clue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So tomorrow we're going to have lunch with uh, oh, your good buddy, Chris Simmons. Anything you'd ever want to ask him that you didn't get a chance to ask him? I don't know, like every day at work or yeah, every you've never, day. Yeah. You, you or something you could hide behind <laughs> with us that you couldn't ask him in person. Like, like oh, he's sensitive about this. If I ask yeah, him, yeah. bad, but they can ask him. Yeah, yeah. I would like to know if Chris, you know, it's, not even, it's not even for the sake of entertainment. I'd like to know what Chris thinks he's not good at because I think he's good at everything. The laundry list of names that have come through your tremendous, your microphone uh are insane is there anyone you're really thankful you haven't had to deal with well, there's a couple out there there's a couple all-stars but i'd say the i'd say the king of those guys would be dean cameron from what i hear Jeez. what i can't go into details fair, fair meeting. yeah no worries no worries suck it cameron <laughs> one of the uh common questions we have is uh who's the best driver that didn't make it there's a few out there, right? Um, Memo Gidley's remarkably good. It's literally what Almendinger said. Yeah. yeah. Did yeah. you work yeah. with Memo? Yes, a few races. We uh, had him in. Patrick Carponte had hurt his wrist. We should have right. yeah, yeah. won. We should have won uh, Rio with him because we did Long Beach. Then we did Rio and Motiki. And we should have won uh, at Rio, but uh, had a wastegate problem. Wastegate started to disassemble itself. Mm. And he started losing boost. He's leading the race. Yeah. Um, yeah, Mima's very, very good. There, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of broken bodies out there. I'll tell you who is also remarkably good. Wish could have done more was Simona Di Silvestro. She was so impressive when yeah. I first met her. You know, she, she led her first ever IndyCar race in, in uh, San Paulo, but she just didn't have uh, good funding behind her. Right. Didn't have enough sponsorship to really get herself placed well. Right. Obviously, she had a. She had a very good opportunity this year mm-hmm. with the Penske Peretta program. Yeah. Unfortunately, Penske just wasn't all that sparkly this year. Yeah. Like so the whole team struggled. Year. So right. as a result, it didn't uh, it didn't reflect well on her. We have a mutual friend, a young, we call him the wolf, but a young Steve Goff. He has mentioned there's something about a rat rod. Oh, yeah. That's, I sold that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I bought it on a whim on eBay. I was going through a hot rod phase. Uh-huh. I actually sold it to uh, Jason Weatherford, Elvis, that works at Andretti Autosport. He still owns it. Okay. But it was basically, well, yeah, it was a 1939 Chevy pickup chopped and channeled. Yeah. Uh, the word is it went through a fire and made it better. It did. Yeah, yeah it did. What did you do? It was wrong? very good. <laughs> yeah. Very good. I built I built my own open lake style headers. I uh-huh. louder than bugger. I still have hearing damage in my left ear from it. <laughs> but it was uh, it was the perfect vehicle for late night visits to yeah. friends' houses. I'm sure. Four o'clock in the morning, yeah. doing yard work. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't, it didn't tear it up too bad because I ran cheater slicks on the back. But I, I sold it to uh, <laughs> I sold it to a to a, a teammate of mine at Andretti's to fund buying all the safety equipment and stuff for a go-kart I bought for my eldest son. Okay. <laughs> who promptly 
came down with a, a rather serious medical problem. So all the money that I made from that, I uh, went to dark ring bills. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Flash yeah. forward late. I still have the go-kart. <laughs> uh, the eldest never actually asked about it. Yeah. He has no interest in motorsport. And my youngest went through a phase where he was asking about it a little bit. Yeah. And then I started getting into motor racing more and more, but uh, matured enough in his first year of engineering uh, school to realize he really didn't want to do what I was doing and right. switch over to biology at IU. Okay. So calm yeah. heads prevailed. So I have a, a, you know, basically an unused go-kart. I've had it for the better part of 20 years. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. it's probably still good. In untouched condition. <laughs> and what I'm hearing is you're going to have kids that are going to have real jobs that you've never had. Yeah. That's exactly like right. That was the intention. Yeah. And yeah. you're probably still like, you guys yeah. want to use this go-kart? Grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> How would you rank Jimmy Johnson's rookie year of IndyCar? Uh, I think it's admirable, given his background. And, uh, I mean, let's face it, given his age. He's an age where people are talking, you know, they're talking about Scott retiring. Yeah, right? Jimmy's yeah. It's, you know, is, yeah. is Scott going to age out? Is Ryan Hunter right. going to age out? I think it was incredibly brave of Jimmy to do it. He is, uh, when you spend any time with him, you very quickly realize why the guy has had the success he had in NASCAR. This is something he desperately wanted to do yeah. and prove to himself. Uh, I, I have nothing but admiration for him for doing it. You're not the first to say that you learn real quickly why he's had the success that he has. Yeah. I don't understand what that means. Uh, well, I'm going to pretend like I don't for the sake of yeah. the audience. <laughs> so, I mean, people like Jimmy, there, there is a, uh, one, just mentally they're very sharp. All these guys are very, very quick. Um, uh, two, obviously he's got a vast amount of experience. There's a lot to, to call. He has a lot to, to fall back on. But three, there's also the inquisitiveness, the, the willingness to ask even what might seem like a very simple question. Uh, he's you know, very, very focused. He takes in all the information that he can. He's always doing comparisons to his teammates. He's watching dartfish videos, in-car videos, grabbing any sources of information, asking very intelligent questions. Is there a specific era you're most fond of? Uh, I think the era that I'm in now. Uh, it's, I, I'm nostalgic. I love watching some of the older stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, I am glad to be working in an era where... We've continued to improve safety to the point where mm -hmm. now we've got the halos on the car. Yeah. Um, that that driver safety and, and spectator and crew safety are yeah. number one priority. Um, over my career, obviously with my dad racing in the 60s and 70s, we've seen a lot of people go away, and it, it gets very boring very quickly. Yeah. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm very happy with the era that we're in right now. Where's IndyCar in five years, and where's Michael Cannon? That's a good question. I don't actually know. Um, obviously, we're looking at the uh, doing the hybrid system for the car and upping the uh, displacement of the ICE engine. So, yeah, it would be nice to get back to the to the really big horsepower days, big torque days. Uh, at the same time, adding that stuff is going to increase the weight of the car as it starts. It's increasing the it's weight of the car. We're going to yeah. start working. Yeah. We've got to work on more safety-related mm -hmm. uh, issues. Yeah. Um, five years from now, I, I would like to be doing what I'm doing right now. Still? Uh, yes. You're not I, I enjoy what I'm doing. Is it a lot of work? 
uh, is it a lot of stress, a lot of pressure? Yeah, of course it is. But it's very rewarding, especially when you're working with somebody like uh, Ganassi and Scott Dixon. Is there ever going to be a retirement, or are you just going to be done one day? I don't know. Are you going to die at your desk? I don't know. Okay. I, I think, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to have the kind of job, right? Yeah. Like people would love to retire from doing what they're doing and, and go then and come do what you're doing. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 so exactly. There's not a lot that yeah. really appeals to me other than, you know, I'd like to, there's a few places I'd like to travel to, yeah. sure. to go to. Sure. Yeah. Some old friends I'd like to catch up with. But uh, you're no, lucky I you have I a wife who gets it. I thoroughly yeah. enjoy doing what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm doing yeah. We don't have to get into anything you don't want to get into, but uh, you, you know, you worked for Forsyth at the time, and then on your uh, in your personal life, 1999 was a very bad year, as far as I'm concerned. That was particularly <laughs> sh. Yeah. But so this, I mean, this is horrible, you know, because so I was flying back from uh, Australia. Okay. And I would take out took off out of Los Angeles. Yeah, I take flying back from Australia, take off, and I, I looked down. Oh, there's Balboa Island. And the last family vacation we took, we rented a friend's house on Balboa Island. My yeah, mom, my which dad, is just my sister, outside and I. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, my mom's car broke down, so we all drove back to North Hollywood. Four of us. I was 11 at the time. My sister, uh, 10. My mom, dad, in the Lotus Europa. Oh, <laughs> brutal. But anyway, so I fly home. I land. Get my luggage. Go home. Get in bed. Phone rings at midnight. And I normally would never answer the phone, but I was like, I had an inkling. Pick it up. It's my stepmom. Your dad's been killed in a plane crash. So <laughs> I went to New Mexico to pick up his remains. And <laughs> once again, everything's always interrelated, right? You need to go to this mortuary and pick up his remains. It's on University Boulevard. It's uh, da, da. well, the easiest way to t- to to find the place. It's next to big car dealership, Gallus Chevrolet. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, I'd run wow. Jamie. Gallus. I'd run Jamie, Jamie Gallus. Gallus. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Jeez. So I go there. I pick the, my dad's ashes up. We have the funeral. One of the poignant things was my dad had flown from McKinney, Texas, where he lived, to San Diego to see my sister. Hadn't seen her in 10 years. Oh, wow. And they sort of reconciled. Yeah, yeah rekindled a little bit, yeah. My youngest sister was supposed to be in my dad's plane with him, but overstayed her curfew. But stepmom wouldn't let her go. Anyway, my mom living in Montreal, my sister living in San Diego, and I all met at Fontana mm-hmm. to come out for the race. Oh, Jesus. And Greg lost his life. Yeah, so that just went swimmingly. So that was my October. And then uh, two weeks later, my youngest son was born. So refreshing. Yeah, so some positivity. Yes. Negative time. Yeah. yeah, and then about three weeks later, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. And about two days later, they asked me to be the chief engineer in Carpentier's car. Jesus Christ, man. changes in my life. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, a little bit of what what were you saying earlier today? Peaks and valleys? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's, man. Live through this. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you hadn't been a chief, or hadn't been uh, running a car up to that point at that level. No, I was the assistant. um, But now you've got this huge other side of your life. Right. It was very, very complicated in those days. I mean, so many different aero configurations and brakes. Yeah. You know, there was no rules in those days. So knowing the. I mean, this isn't anything we don't have to get into if you don't want, but uh, knowing the mental commitment of running a car like that, yeah. and this is your big career-proving opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, you, your wife's going to need your attention if she's going through something like yes. that. How, was it an obvious yes, or was there some consideration of like, I don't know that I can take, like, this is a lot of distractions in two directions here. It was tough on everybody. Yeah. 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 You you know, we we planned for put it this way we planned for the future and if we were going to have a future then I probably needed to do what I was do doing right yeah. right that's a hard decision yeah. okay. if your yeah. wife is as sharp as I bet she is based on the well, fact that she grew up 
with the people in the sport, understands yes. how that works, and also has put up with you for 40 years now. Is that what you said? 30 on November 2nd. 30 years, yeah. yeah. I can, I could, and I've never met this woman, but I could easily see her being like, you need to focus on that to help us get through this. Yes, she's very pragmatic. Yeah. She's got the mind of a litigator. She's yeah. very, very bright, yes. Yeah. What was the, uh, what kind of cancer was it? Breast cancer. Uh, yeah. So they removed her right breast, uh, chemotherapy, and all that stuff. She was yeah. very aggressive with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have many friends who called her for advice after they were subsequently uh, diagnosed. Wow. Yeah. And it's shocking how many of them did not survive it because they they opted for lumpectomies or, you know, an easier way out. Yeah. Right. And, uh, yeah, just a horrible, horrible mistake. Yeah. So right. That's mom. Just a year or two ago. Looking great. Still, yeah, yeah. Still yeah. Dude, you outkicked your coverage by a mile. Oh, yeah. 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 Good God. Did she think Did she think you were rich? <laughs> <laughs> you work in racing? Actually, you know what she said? Well, she knew the sport. I was like, like she, she knows she better. Know better. Right, yeah. It is funny because I always ask her, said, would you see me? She said, I was pretty sure you had a future. <laughs> <laughs> so nothing <laughs> now, yeah. but yeah, maybe yeah. later. Yeah. <laughs> One day, you'll introduce me to Scott Dixon. Right, it's, right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Wait, yeah. So what was your game? Do you know what game is? <laughs> what was my game? Yeah. What was your game? Why, 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 does, why did this woman like me? Yes. Obviously, my magnetic personality. Yeah, right. yeah. Sitting across the table. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she she saw the t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what were you driving at the time? At the time? Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't have a car, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, you man. got a game that we yeah, don't know right. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I live in Vernon County on the top of a hill. It's quite nice. Right, yeah, the view. Yeah. It's the view that sure. sold her. She's sure. like, yeah, he'll figure yeah. something out. I, 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 yeah. I drove yeah. the shop pickup truck. <laughs> nice. That's yeah, gangster. Well played, man. Yeah. Well played. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, you, you for some, for out of a weird sense of duty, yep. you sat down with us. Uh, what is the takeaway you're hoping our, our listeners will get with the the legend that is michael cannon <laughs> again you're reading too much into this you're turning into super fans you're not gonna stalk me on the way home are you no i think is that I'm your car out of front no. <laughs> well we know what it is yeah <laughs> so. it's nine years yeah, old yeah. Uh, no i think it's i think i'm just I, i'm another one of these stories right from motor racing yeah everybody's got this this individual path yep um Hopefully, I've given you a little bit more of a window into the various hijinks that go on, mm-hmm. the various responsibilities, the highs and lows. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely will look at one series official differently the next time I see him. Yep. Yep. That was awful. Who we may know saw, very I close saw, to our hearts. I saw two pretty much completely naked men in the first five minutes of you sitting down. Yeah. I want to set the tone immediately. I want to yeah. establish where the boundaries were yeah. and yeah. where they weren't. And we didn't even start drinking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, this yeah. is a pretty sober environment we have here. <laughs> I didn't even touch my water yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well. All right. Yeah. On that note, I'd say Continental's got the check. Thank you, Continental. And Valvoline. Locked and loaded, only thing you should know. You bring me down.